every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Fed, And as always, joined by the man from Siberia, halfway across the world. I know he's been studying hard because he will have to explain quite a lot of things to us today. Some mathematical formulas, some deep studies into the UEFA qualification motors. But yeah, before we do that, Andrew. Andrew Flint, everyone. How are you doing, Andrew? Oh, not bad, not bad. Uh, I stayed up late to, to watch the Russia game last night, got up early this morning to take my kids to school. But more importantly, I'm here for the Football Grab podcast and uh, I can't wait to delve into the deep, dark world of UEFA's mindset. Uh, Andrew, uh, it's this time of the year again. I have my, um, you know, <laughs> I have I have it set to my phone. Minus 21 degrees in Tumen. Nice. Sun yeah. is shining, apparently. Yeah, it was. It, it's, it is a lovely day, but actually it's the one time I don't like sunny, uh, you know, nice clear blue skies because the, the roads are covered in ice and snow. So the sun in the mornings, low down, reflecting off the shiny roads actually makes it pretty uncomfortable. But anyway, the car started. That's the main thing. Um, and the ice will thaw away in uh, only about three or four months. So not long to wait. Hey, It's a good day when the car starts in Russia. Are you booked that down as a success? Uh- <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's why uh yeah that's why people leave the place but i i'm pretty sure you're happy there anyhow um tim is one of the russians who left the place but he's not on the podcast today he's he's busy he's gonna take another week off but that's fine we, because we brought vadim back again vadim firmanov i know you're not in the post-soviet space anymore you're probably somewhere down warm south or are you back in chicago where are you right now vadim i'm in north carolina oh yeah it's warm there <laughs> indefinitely i got a job here <laughs> yeah it's good to have you back on vadim because um you know we're going to have a bit of ukrainian national team chat today and then the three of us are going to find figure out this this qualification process um you know we spent a good 25 minutes prepping before the podcast i don't think we're ready but we'll do it live we'll do it live we'll figure it out live that's that's the whole idea um, but let's do, let's deal with the things that we do know. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Andrew. Russia beat San Marino 5-0. This is not a surprise. I mean, a- any team that doesn't beat San Marino, 
is probably, you know, and nowhere near go European qualification. Um, Russia co actually qualified for the Euros very comfortably. Um, they were in a group with Belgium. Um, I looked at the, I did a roundup for the International Champions Cup just before this podcast and I looked at uh, Belgium's record, Andrew, and it was 42 seven goals. Yeah. <laughs> That's an unbelievable record. So to finish second behind Belgium, um, it's not a bad overall record. 24 points out of uh, 30. Um, they lost the two games to Belgium, obviously, but, um, today you were saying you were not really that happy with the game against San Marino. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing's first, you're right. I mean, you, th there is a danger when you're playing lower ranked sides to slide into a slightly patronizing assumption that you're going to win. But against San Marino, you, there isn't really much danger of that. They are the lowest ranked side by FIFA and have been for a number of years, or at least for the vast majority of their entire competitive history. Um, so, you know, Russia played them three times, uh, well, before this match anyway, they beat them times. So, of course, you're going to assume, um, and as a, as a bare minimum, expect, to be honest, that Russia would, would beat them and beat them heavily. I actually think 5-0 is urging on an embarrassingly low scoreline from Russia's perspective. And I know that is going to come across incredibly pompous, but it, it's, it really is true. I mean, when you think San Marino's best player is not guaranteed to start for a third-tier Italian side, then you, you've got to start thinking, well, hang on, this really should be double figures. Actually, in San Marino's history, to be fair to them, they, they lose pretty much every game. But to be fair to them, they <laughs> this is gonna sound, again is going to sound patronising. They've only lost in by double figures. Um, the last time was, was three years ago. Uh, so to be fair, they're they're not doing too badly there, I guess. Um, yeah, five no. I was I was disappointed by it. Russia had a predictably high dominance in possession, shots shots on target, um, and they didn't make it count. The San Marino goalkeeper, to be fair, made three absolutely spectacular saves as well. Um, but there were a number of players who were slightly off colour, to say the least. So, I mean, it, in the end, it doesn't matter, does it, Manu? You know, we've talked about this on the pod before. The performance in qualifiers doesn't really matter. Get the points on the board. And this, it didn't even matter points on the board. Second place was guaranteed. We couldn't win the group. We couldn't not qualify. So really, in the, in the end, nothing actually really mattered. But mm. yeah, I would have liked to have gone out on a bit more of a bang. And to be fair, Belgium only won their four 0 Well, yeah, I mean, I, again, it's, it's you. I catch myself thinking, is this going to come across really, really arrogantly or pompously? But to be fair, that's true. Um, if you look at San Marino's last, was it seven home games? They've lost. Okay, five 0 is the heaviest defeat they've had at home mm -hmm. um, for two years now. Um, three one with Kazakhstan, four nil Cyprus, four nil Belgium, only two nil Scotland, two nil Belarus, one nil. They're not complete annihilations that we kind of stereotypically assume with them. So five nil is still a good scoreline, but I just think it should have been better, really. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think for me personally, when you qualify, you qualified. You know, that's the bottom line. There's there's a lot of weight put on on the qualification stage. I mean, you look at Belgium's um, forty to three goals and thirty points, and, and in the end of the day, that matters very little if they if they don't get the job done at the Euros, right? 
and the, the same can be said to the, for Russia. Uh, the, the group wasn't too difficult. Um, no disrespect to Scotland, who had 15 points in this group, but you know you have Cyprus and Kazakhstan in there as well, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, Kazakhstan is a country that changed its name half the night before the Scotland game, so you know that says it, about everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, buddy, you're, you're right about the group. It's um, I, I think it is a sign that we are saying that at all, as in saying that the group was not too difficult because. I would say three, four years ago with Russia, you wouldn't really have been confident of, of finishing top mm. two in that sort of group. They would have stumbled away to Scotland, possibly even at home, Scotland, who knows. Um, and, you know, you've got to remember, even Cypriot football, um, was it 2012, I think it was, um, there was a Cypriot side in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and they can be difficult to beat away from home. So I think it's a sign that we are quite comfortable saying that was an easy group. And I don't think anybody expected us not to finish second uh, in, the, in the group. So it's job done. Like you say, it doesn't really matter. We can, mm. I would, I would, we'll go over the, the San Marino game a little bit, I guess, in more detail. But um, at the end of the day, we've done the job. And the job was already done. The job was still completed afterwards. No goals conceded. A few debuts handed out. Um, good to see Maxim Belyaya finally get an appearance. Um, good to see Zelenkram Bakayev get a full game as well. Um, and, and Nikolai Komlichenko's first goal for the national team as well. So there are a lot of bright points to be taken from it still. Yeah, let's go over this game, shall we? Um, because you pointed out a couple of things ahead of this podcast. You, you were saying that, um, Tsuba was abused from the stands. I, I have to be honest. The, the, the game that I focused on today was the, the Germany Northern Ireland game. And then there was some insignificant game played in Wales where uh, Gareth Bale showed up. So that was also playing. So <laughs> yeah, apparently he, he, it's Wales golf and then Real Madrid. He even held up a flag. Uh, that's so off topic. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Wales. Golf Madrid in that order. I, I I think it's I think it's brilliant, but just on a, an entirely side note, and I'm very very quick. I won't go into detail, but I cannot. I think he's a little bit silly to have embraced that flag so brazenly and openly. Yeah. It's not it's not a secret that um, Real Madrid and Gareth Bale are not exactly best buddies, but I cannot see how he's going to realistically play another game for them now. But anyway, we said that before, and he's still hung in there. So we'll see what happens yeah. on that front. Absolutely. But um, Russia San Marino, let's focus on that. Suba. Yes. Did not score today. And no. was abused from the stands. Like, honestly, give the dude a break. He carried this country on his shoulders to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I mean, really? Is, is that how you yeah, treat a hero? It, it's, um, oh God, I, I don't even know where to start with this. The, I think, I think basically the, it boils down to his relationship with Spartak Moscow, who used to play for, and and a lot of the fans who were in San Marino were Spartak Moscow fans. And the there's talk on some social media platforms. Okay, hold and, on. You're telling um, me Tim is not on this podcast because he's hanging out on some Italian beach? <laughs> yeah, he he claims he's busy working. I'm going to read that message again. Italian, you know, the theme of club patriotism, if you like, and I do kind of call it like that because 
it is more prevalent in some countries than other, England in particular, uh, I might add, that some club fans who follow the national team carry their club allegiances very, very stringently over to the players that represent their country. And in the for the Belgium game at home, um, there were some faint reports that some um, Zanit fans were sort of chanting about Moscow in general. Um, because we, I mean, Manny, you know mm. um, a lot of historical, um, I wouldn't say conflict, but the relationship, shall we say, between Moscow and St. Petersburg, the, the attitudes and mentalities of the people that live in those cities. And the and it, it rolls over into the support for the teams in those cities as well, of course. So the there were apparently a group of Zanit fans at the Russia-Belgium game um, uh, in their beautiful stadium there who were quite happy to have the national team there, not in Moscow. And I think it was possibly partly a response to that, but it was very personal because it was focused. It wasn't focused at, um, uh, at anybody else. And Zuba, like you say, has carried the team on his shoulders. And when he when he has put in so much to lift the entire mood of the team, and I do put it a lot of that down to Zuba. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about him needing a challenge to get the most of a challenge last summer, um, way above expectations, and through these qualifiers. He scored nine goals in in the qualifiers, one of the highest scores, and he, he got the country into the European Championships again. And to abuse him like that was very, very odd. I actually didn't have the volume on because it was uh, 2am here in Siberia, so I didn't want to wake my family up, so I didn't hear the abuse. But I could see from the very first minute Zuba was completely off colour. He had his worst game I've seen for a very long time, since before the World Cup at least. Um, his, his touch wasn't good. His movement wasn't good. He was very slow to 50-50s. And, and I, at half-time, I, I thought I'd be amazed if he comes out for the second half. Um, he really was that bad a performance. I don't blame him for it now that it becomes apparent the extent of the abuse he got from the stands. But... Um, you know, the players afterwards and Chichesov afterwards were saying, well, who are these fans? You know, you, you come and support the national team. You come all the way to San Marino to support the team just to abuse a player for some sort of club allegiance. Well, if you really have to, do that while you're supporting your club, not the country. Mm. Uh, all a bit ridiculous, really. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's the most negative note, really to be honest, um, to finish off the qualifiers. It's a shame, really. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if you can take something negative from, I think it was overall a very good campaign, I guess a 5-0 victory over San Marino. I think most most fans in Russia will take that. Um, maybe just the last one, Komlichenko scored, um, plays in the Czech Republic from yeah. Lada Bolesev, right? We've, we've chatted about him a few times. Um, good to see his career career going, finally. Um Still a bit contentious because Fedor Charlov, of course, he played with the U21 in Serbia and he scored there, right? So, yeah, yeah I mean, it was good to see Komachenko score. Uh, he came on for about 25 minutes um, in the second half when we were 3 0 up and he looked very good. Uh, he His goal was a just a good bit of movement, um, cross into the box. He tapped it in, but he, he had a couple of other chances, one in particular where he showed seriously, seriously quick thinking to turn and shoot straight away and the, the keeper tips it over. So he looked lively. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased for him because it's it's not easy to come into the national team mm. amidst a whole 
clamour for someone else to be in the squad instead of you. But um, I think he, I think he showed that he can be a useful foil for Juba because he played alongside Juba. He didn't come on instead of him, which is what most people expected. Um, Chichesov said that's why Komachenko's in the squad because he plays in the same role, same style as um, Juba. But he actually played. Uh, they played alongside each other, so that was interesting to see a two two man strike partnership. Perhaps it's an option. That's what the plan B is for Russia. Instead of changing the style, just simply doubling up the style up front. But Komachenko was good. Um, uh, Honourable mention to Bakayev as well. He was uh, he was full of running and uh, caused trouble. But yeah, it was good. Uh, good debut. Oh, good uh, first goal, I should say, for Komachenko. Yeah, fantastic stuff. You know, before we dive into these. The draw and who Russia is going to get. Let's go over to Vadim, shall we? And, and give him the stage for, for Ukraine's qualification because Vadim, this was a very difficult group. I think this was probably one of the, the most difficult groups. Actually, you had Portugal, Serbia, Luxembourg and Lithuania. And even Luxembourg nowadays are a country that are not easy to play against and to qualify in first place ahead of Portugal and ahead of Serbia. That's quite. Quite a feat, isn't it? It is defeated. The first time ever we've gone through an entire qualification cycle undefeated. Uh, maximum points at home, only giving up four goals total. I mean, when when this draw was first made, it, like you said, I thought, you know, getting the defending European champions and then getting Serbia out of out of pot three was probably the worst case scenario. And then all of a sudden. Qualifying out of first place with a match to spare was not something that I expected and was pleasantly surprised by. Yeah, because that pretty sickly made the the final game. Um, I know you Ukraine played um, a friendly against Estonia. Um, you know that stage basically this this work this international break cycle was basically a couple games to just test for Andrei Shevchenko, and I, this is this is very important because. When you really think about it, there is only another two games left in March, and I believe one in June, uh, maybe two in June, to test before the European Championships kick off, right? Um, so really, there's two games left before you can nominate your squad. And then, then you, with your nominated squad, I believe you have to have two more games before the tournament. Um, so this is, this really, this international break was really important for Ukraine. The, the results aside, I, I believe results at that stage, if you already qualified, aren't really that important. It's more important about who you brought in and how you used your players, isn't it? Yeah, I I think for the most part, Shevchenko was already set on the squad, especially the starting lineup. Uh, the friendly against Estonia was a chance to experiment with some players that don't really get much playing time. And to be honest, it didn't go very well it was a really i mean ukraine dominated possession and everything but it was a terrible match to watch and we only won on a 93rd minute deflected free kick uh and serbia which is more important even if it is even if ukraine already qualified i think ukraine needed to not lose to secure being in pot a for the qualifiers which we'll get into later but also just the you know, being able to go a whole year without losing and going a qualifying cycle without losing, I think there was important value to that as well, just for, for the sake of morale and everything like that. And they did. They they managed to get the job done against Serbia as well with another uh, 93rd minute equalizer. Yeah. Uh, 
Ukrainian media are starting to call this Shevatine <laughs> because this is, the, I think, the fourth time that Ukraine have salvaged either a victory or or a draw in the last seconds of a match under his tenure. Yeah, and it was a player that came off the bench as well who scored the last... Yeah, Bissi. Yeah, Bissi Dean. A lot of criticism, and some people are even questioning why he was in the side, but, you know, I think he occasionally has a knack for being in the right place at the right time and scored a really scrappy goal at the very end. But before that, uh, so Serbia... You know, Ukraine won the first match in leave between these two sides 5-0, which was one one of Ukraine's best ever results in its history. So Serbia, first of all, Serbia still had a small chance of qualifying if they beat Ukraine and Portugal didn't beat Luxembourg. So this wasn't a meaningless match for them, at least mm. when the match kicked off. And then also just to get revenge for that 5-0, I think every, every Serbian player wanted that... Uh, Tadic came out and said, you know, this is this is what we're going for. And they really, in the first 5-10 minutes, it really seemed like Serbia were going to run up the score. They began to dominate. They got a penalty in the 8th minute and took a 1-0 lead. And it wasn't until, I think, around the 15-minute mark that Ukraine began to settle down and get back into the match. Yeah, um, it's, I, I think it's, it's a respectable result in, in Serbia to get, to get a draw and to get a 2-2 draw. Because when you when you look at this lineup, this, the Serbian team is very good. And um, you mentioned it, Vadim, the qualification stage. That stage was really close still. And when you look at the Portugal result, they only beat Luxembourg 2-0. So it wasn't too unfeasible for them to maybe get a result against Ukraine and hope for the best. Yeah, everyone, Portugal, Serbia, Ukraine, they all struggled at Luxembourg. Yeah. They don't look like they did well based on the table, but they're a team that, you know, they're kind of, coming up like Iceland mm-hmm. did in the past five or six years or so. I think they've really started to focus on, on their youth setup. And Ukraine really got lucky, to be honest. In the first match against Luxembourg, it was one of those last-second equalizers off an own goal from a player who now plays for Dynamo Kiev, actually. Yeah. And then the second match was also a scrappy 1-0. So yeah, like you mentioned, Luxembourg isn't isn't the you know minnow that they were. They're not. There's certainly no San Marino. A couple of things, other things I wanted to mention about this match. So two of our um, best midfielders, so Zinchenko and Stepanenko, were both out. The former through injury, the latter through suspension. So Shevchenko needed to make some changes there, and brought in Sidorchuk from Dynamo as the holding midfielder, and Kovalenka from uh, Shakhtar as the uh, as a Zinchenko's replacement. Uh, I have to say, Ukraine's midfield three with the two missing players and Malinovsky is probably the best midfield that I ever remember us having. But there is a fairly steep drop-off in quality once you move past those three. Sidorchuk had a decent match, but Stepanenko is irreplaceable. And Kovalenka, to be honest, I think he has no business being anywhere near the starting team. Uh, so that is one of the concerns that Ukraine have moving forward, uh, I think that goes for more than just the midfield, but I think it's a very strong starting 11, but when you have players missing, whether through suspension or injury, that's when that's when you start having some concerns. It's interesting that you say that about Kovalenko, because he was considered such a massive talent about three years ago, and you really... Him and, him and were considered massive talents coming up at Shakhtar, and neither of them have really fulfilled their potential. Yeah, it's really odd that you don't see that next step. I guess maybe because they've just been staying 
at in Ukraine, whereas Sinchenko really made the next step by going to Manchester City. I mean, first to Ufa, of course, in Russia, right? Um, more or less by chance. And then, um, heading to, heading to Manchester City. I think that that really helped this development. And I, I think that is when you look at that Ukrainian side, um, in general, you, you see a lot of players that are looking for, look for their luck abroad, um, which is, you know, which, which is something really interesting that to see that you see more and more players trying to do so. Um, some of course are maybe a little bit too late. Um, you know, like Yamolenko, for example. Um, but others are really trying to make that move a little bit earlier and have surpassed Kovalenko in that development. Yeah, Malinowski spent a couple of fantastic seasons in, in Belgium, won mm-hmm. the league with uh, Genk, or is it Genk? I, I never get those two Belgian teams with almost the same name. I always get them. <laughs> as long uh, as you don't travel to one of the, over the other. <laughs> yeah. So he was, he was at Genk, where he was one of their best midfielders and won the league with them, and that got him a move to Atalanta in, in Serie A, where it's, I, you know, he, he's in their player of the month, but at the same time hasn't been getting hasn't hasn't really solidified his place in the starting eleven yet either. Mm. So it kind of remains to be seen how how he'll pan out in Italy. But just the fact that he moved to Europe at a relatively young age has truly helped his development. Yeah. Uh, he didn't stay too long and start to you know plateau in, in, in the Ukrainian Premier League. And then Stepanyenko's the other midfielder, he he did stay at Shakhtar, but he's a holding midfielder so he he there are no Brazilians that are competing for his spot, really. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. I mean, you look at um, Roman uh, Yaremchuk as well, right? Who's currently playing at Ghent. It's a Belgium. Yeah, there, there are Ukrainians in that in in that side. Yeah, Roman Bezus is there as well. Um, so it's 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 an interesting. Igor Plastun is there as well. So um. It's it's a good league, and then you have Eduard Sobol playing in Belgium as well. I mean, Belgium is good for for development, and you can make the step up. Um, I mean, this is this is, I mean, to bring Andrew into this, how often have we talked about Russian players not necessarily making that step, right? And I I do feel it is such yeah. an important thing for for young players, especially if you do not get that competitive edge or maybe not the playing time to to maybe make that step and go somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a very important part of any any country's development um, to you know to to make that that step up and broaden your horizons a bit. Otherwise, you will by definition get stuck in a rut. I mean, you know, this is why I think that was one of the reasons why I think uh, the ruling that we have in Russia, for example, and any other country that also has it, I would say the same. When you try and basically force teams to have to play a minimum number of their own players that can qualify for the national team. It's creating a false development for them because they will, all it is doing is making them more valuable in one atmosphere instead of making them technically less valuable in more atmospheres, more competitions where they will have to challenge themselves. That's where you get the development, not the, I mean, the quality of coaching, of course it matters. The identity of style of play matters. But if the players are not being pushed to prove themselves, then they're not going to, they're not going to develop. So, you know, I, it's good to see, um, a few, quite a few young Ukrainian players, you know, in different leagues, um, maybe not all having the same level of success, but at least they're pushing themselves. So, 
I think the future is is looking is looking okay for for Ukraine moving forward. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah, Yaremchuk's having a fantastic. He's already scored something like seventeen goals this season for club and country. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That's that proves the point. He's had to adapt to another culture, and he's he's succeeding in it. Um, so yeah, I I think um, anybody who makes that step, whatever their country and wherever they go to, deserves credit. So boys. Kind of want to move it to the next stage now. Um, let's stay with Ukraine here for a second because we already know that they are going to be in Group C and we already know that they are going to face the Netherlands at the European Championships. Yes. How do we know this before the draw on November 30th? Well, it's magic, I guess. <laughs> we also know, Andrew... Understand that, that Russia is a group B. We'll be playing in St. Petersburg, right? Um, but, and that, that there will be Denmark and Belgium in that group as well, right? Okay. So we do mm -hmm. know that. Um, these are two groups that are pretty filled up already. Some of the other groups aren't quite that full, but, um, let's go through the teams that are qualified and then let's try to figure out how UEFA will take those 20 teams, put them into the various groups with their various home nations. Because some countries will actually be hosts in this gigantic European championship. Some countries will actually not have qualified. They're doing the draw before all 24 countries have qualified. Again, 20 out of the 24 have qualified. Four spots remain to be open. And the way I understand it, the, the draw will be Some of the teams that are still in the qualification cycle, um, they will just be redrawn into groups. So those, those slots will remain empty until March. But yes, let's go through these teams. The 20 teams are England, Czech Republic, Ukraine, Portugal, Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland, Denmark, Croatia, Wales, Spain, Sweden, Poland, Austria, France, Turkey, Belgium, Russia, Italy, and for the first time ever, Finland. Okay. Everyone's still following me? Um, Andrew, you, you, you ready? Um, because there's four, four teams left. Right? So indeed. Okay. You've been bragging all week on our various WhatsApp channels that you understand what's happening next. <laughs> yeah, I, I may have spoken too soon, actually, I'll be honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, just very, very briefly, I would like to preface all of this, that this is a new system, and it will take a lot of time for everybody to fully understand and accept it. And I fully understand why some people are, are resistant to it. But mm. one positive, we know... Because of this new uh, UEFA Nations League that guarantees at least one of the fourth seeds, that, so in other words, the lowest ranked sides in Europe, will have a place in, uh, in the European Championship. So one of Georgia, North Macedonia, Kosovo or Belarus will be playing in, uh, in the finals. They will be, uh, they will play Well, all the playoffs, in fact, are one-leg semi-finals and then a one-leg final. Um, now, where it gets slightly, slightly more complicated is that the way the playoffs are decided is not through the qualifiers, but through the Nations League 
group winners. But when the Nations League group winners have already qualified from the, the, the original qualifying groups, the Euro 2020 qualifiers that have just finished, then the next highest ranked place uh, in the Nations League takes their place. So it's not about the Euro qualifiers, it's about the Nations League finish that determines who goes into the playoffs. Um, and it gives, a, it gives a second chance. And I, I think there's some merit in that because it keeps a slightly higher level of interest through the international breaks. Um, so, yeah, what we're looking at is uh, we have four paths and two of them we know, like I mentioned, the lowest path, path D, Georgia, North Macedonia, Kosovo and Belarus. One of those will be in the finals. Path B, one of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Slovakia, and then where it gets complicated or controversial, should we say, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um, I, as I understand, Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland cannot be drawn together in the semi-final. So they might meet in the final, a one-off final to decide who goes through. Please and, make it happen. And, manage, and this is something that you love. They might, uh, that path will go to the group which is hosted in Dublin, as I understand. So, yes, oh, it is. Um, so that is, Andrew, that. just to put that in there, that is Group E that also includes Spain. Right, because Bilbao and Dublin are the two host cities for that group. That's correct. So the winner of that path, I guess because they, they know that the two Irish teams are in it, will have guaranteed spot in Group E. Now, of course, there's a couple other countries in that group um, that have no interest to go either to Bilbao or um, Dublin, but I guess um, UEFA doesn't really care about them, and those two countries are Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Slovakia. So, but yeah, I guess they kind of predetermined that. I uh, we there is there are so many angles we could go down. I think the a large part of the confusion for me, is the the utterly ridiculous size and breadth of this finals tournament over so many different countries. I think it's, I think it's a complete load of nonsense, to be honest with you. Uh, and it's not making life easy. Um, you're going to have one group, for example, um, pardon me, which will be, because all the groups have two host cities, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the groups, uh, just get the right group name for you, one moment, will be Group A, in fact, will be Rome and Baku. Now, absolutely nobody will want to have half their games or even all their games in, in Baku because it's so hard to get to, it's far away. Hmm. Um, so this is, this is, for me, the main problem with the finals. It's just spread over too wide an area. Yeah. And co-hosting, if it's two countries that share a border, or at least they're very close. Um, even then, I don't particularly like it. But if it if needs must, just to spread the game a bit further, okay. But over a whole continent, I think it's just uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. Well, a great example is uh, Wales, right? Because they might be ending up. There's a chance they end up in the Baku group or in the Russian mm -hmm. group, even though the United yeah. Kingdom has two host cities in Glasgow and London. I believe London is not till the finals, right? But there's also group stage matches. Yeah, they're group. Uh, yeah, they, they have a group stage match. They have um, that. That's the group that most people probably would want to be in, simply because the distance between the two host cities 
is so short and, um, and, and relatively uncomplicated. So England have certainly certainly got luck because the, the two semi-finals, the final, three group stage matches, and I think a last 16 match will be in London. So um, it's weighted pretty pretty heavily in England's favour, as things stand, I'll be honest, in terms of host cities anyway. Mm. So, so if um, Scotland yeah. goes through in path C, will they play in Hampton Park? Two of their matches. Two of their matches. And the other one in, in London. Because London, England, yeah. as the higher-ranked nation, will have three home games. So so if a team qualifies first, like Italy did, for example, well, that's a bad example because Baku's the other team. But say both Netherlands and Romania go through, mm-hmm. and the two host cities in Group C are Amsterdam and Bucharest, the Netherlands will play all three matches at home because they qualified automatically, whereas Romania qualified through the playoffs. But in the Russia-Denmark group, because both teams qualified in second place, the draw will determine which of those two teams will play all three matches at home. Aha. I, I think there's some merit to that, to be fair, because it does, it is a, obviously an advantage to be playing in your home country. So, you know, to reward a, a better performance um, in that way, like, for example, in England's group, you mentioned if Scotland qualified or Netherlands in their group, they are guaranteed already to have three home games. I think, I think that is some reward. Um, the, the the fact that we're having to talk about that as a reward, as in which country gets to be at home, in itself in a finals tournament is ridiculous. But that's another issue altogether. I think it wouldn't we be an issue. It wouldn't be an issue if this was a normally hosted tournament, right? We're way like, well, quite. If if this was in one country or even two, um, then of course we wouldn't. We wouldn't. There is no discussion to have. There, you're in a. You're in a country and whichever city within the country, well, that's, you know, that's luck of a draw, I guess. But um, anyway, that's uh, at least we at least we know that side of things. So that's, um, that's we, things we have degree. what we don't know is path A, right? There's four teams for, for three spots in path A and there's one team in path C that is still determined. And so now they're going to draw from... Bulgaria, Israel, Hungary, and Romania. They're going to draw three of those teams into path A, one of those teams into path C. Now, people will say, no, hang on, that's not fair. Um, but because all the top teams qualified automatically, right, guys, um, it actually, I, I, this is actually one of the things that I'm okay with because the four paths have pretty balanced teams, even though Iceland were from path A. Um, because of the, the, the teams, you know, because of the teams that did not automatically qualify, that the competition kind of got watered down, it actually turns out to be okay in that regard, at least in terms of balancing. Right. I, I, I actually go, I go along with that. Um, because for Iceland, it is a, I suppose, a reward of sorts for being one of the higher ranks or the highest ranked side left in the in the playoffs to face three theoretically weaker sides um because you you know you should be rewarded for performance we do want to see the best teams in the finals and if you perform better you do deserve to have a better chance i think um i i think it's uh it's a i actually this these playoff lineups i think are the best part of the the new style of qualifying with the Nations League and the player and the qualification groups combined because you get a compromise. Some people want to give the smaller teams 
One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. In the finals, and you've got Georgia, North Macedonia, Kosovo, and Belarus. They've all got a chance. So you've got that. But then you've got a you, you want to have better teams in. Iceland are not quite perhaps as um as youthful and and as exciting as they were, you know, three, four years ago, but they're still a very, very good side who are improving and they will have a good chance of getting through. You want to see them. Um Bosnia actually think actually didn't do very well for what I expected them to do in the qualifiers, but you know they will have a, a fairly good chance. Our, Republic of Ireland are very very limited side. They are they're a workhorse side really. Um, Northern right. Ireland have very little to offer either, so they should. I would expect Bosnia will qualify from Part B. So you're getting a compromise. You're getting the good sides getting a good chance of going through, and you're also giving one or two of the smaller sides a chance as well. But Here's the but, um, and this will make this really interesting. If Hungary or Romania get into path C, we will not find out which ones of those home teams will go into, because there will be three potential home games in path C, home teams in path C. No, two maximum. No, because there's Scotland as a host in yeah. Glasgow. Right. Um. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. But Hungary would be then the second, right? And then you would have the same... And yeah, you would only have one. So no matter what, there's going to be a path with two host teams. Yeah. A or C. Yeah, that's... So, uh... and, and when I look this up, the Wikipedia says, therefore the winner of the path with two hosts must be assigned to two final tournament groups. Someone break that down for me because I don't understand it. Okay, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> so either path A or path C will have two hosts. We've established that, correct? Yeah. So the winner of the path with two hosts must be assigned to two final tournament groups. I, well, I think I think by that what they mean is they they can't they they can't be drawn in the um, in the same group because there will already be um, a host team in the group through one of the qualifying group winners uh, that's as i understand it so for example with scotland we've, we've already established that um if if they go through then they will only have two home games in the group with england because they are one of the host nations there but um uh but dum 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 let's see hungary and romania they can't be in the same group anyway um but we, I mean, you think logically, there are only two host host cities in each group. So Hungary are, if they qualify, they've got Munich, 
um, in that mm. group. Yeah. And Romania, uh, sorry, Bucharest is in the group with the Netherlands. So they're already qualified too. So you can't get two from the path in a group because there already is a different host that's already qualified for each group. Beautiful. Well, I know that, that I understand. I think it's the idea that if there are two hosts in a single path, we won't be able to, because the playoffs aren't until March. So the draw that's happening on November 30th, we won't find out then which group that playoff path winner will go into. Yeah, unless it's playoff path B, then we know. Playoff that's, path B goes into group E. That's right. With Spain. Yes, so when they do the actual draw on November 30th, there will be a lot of blank spots. Right. That's um the reality of it. I don't know why they don't draw later, but I guess they decided to do it this way. Um, because Usually, usually these last two match days in November that we just had, those are the playoffs. That's right. No playoffs. Yeah. And you do the draw and everything is set. But now the playoffs don't end until March. The March ones would have been friendlies. Exactly, exactly. Which and now, will, while most countries are friendlies. Yeah. It, to be honest with you, I think it, it would make more sense, like you say, like you suggest, Mandy, to have the, have the final draw, um, then. But I, I suppose, Possibly what they might be thinking is because through their own making, um, just to stress that, that because there is so much travel involved, they possibly see an advantage to giving as many people as possible, as many associations as possible, more time to plan, um, plan travel. Possibly, you know, you've got to remember um, visa issues as well for Azerbaijan. Most European nationals will need a visa to enter Azerbaijan. Um, when I went summer for the Europa League final um, for football bread, I had to get a an electronic visa. Now that mm-hmm. itself wasn't a complicated process, but for Russia, it's slightly more complicated. They are actually talking about reintroducing for Euros the a similar system to the fan ID system they had during the World Cup, which would be sensible, I'll be honest. Um, and it would be a less complicated thing because it's in one city and it's for a short time period as well. So I think, you know, maybe they just want to buy more time for the planning side of things. Um, but even still, I, I don't think three months is that bad. I think three months is plenty of time, to be honest. But anyway, it is what it is. So I guess the teams that could end up in that um, dreaded Group A... Uh, any team from pot two and three, except for the teams that are hosts, right? Right. So France, Poland, Switzerland, Croatia, Portugal, Turkey. Turkey probably wouldn't be too unhappy about it, to be fair. Austria, Sweden, Czech Republic, Wales, Finland, and the four teams, with the exceptions of the ones that are predetermined into certain groups. It would be basically like a home match. For Turkey, it would be a home match, yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's going to be an interesting draw on November 30th. Um, I'll tune in. It'll be the prospect of Portugal. Like to me, boys. You know, we've we've we since the whole Nations League was announced, and then we saw the Nations League group stage and then the finals and everything. It feels like we're being sort of the process by by the very nature of it is drip feeding us levels of understanding after a draw. It won't be completely clear, but we'll understand about what remaining permutations there are. I think that's the frustration through all. It's just nobody's really got it completely clear and seen the process. I still will 
I can't believe I'm saying this about UEFA, but uh, I want to give it. I want to give the process time, at least one whole cycle, to see how it has gone, and hopefully they will make little adjustments if they need to to improve the whole system. The basic concept, um, I am, but largely behind with one major, major uh, problem. Um, one thing I'm very much against, and I know you're against it, Manu and Vadim, I'm sure you probably will be too, is that we've got half the entire continent in the final tournament, which yeah. is a ludicrous concept. Um, 216. Say again, Vadim, sorry? Like they never should have expanded the tournament from 16 to 24. No, never. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I 100% agree. I, you know what I would have done? I actually, I, I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a supporter of the Nations League as a basic concept. So if you were going to have four places from the Nations League, that would then leave, if you have 16 teams, obviously that would leave 12 um, teams to qualify otherwise. Well, you know, we, we regularly have uh, in, the, in the qualifiers, what, do we have 10 groups normally? Eight, 10 groups? I forget mm-hmm. exactly. I would, I would make it, I would make the groups eight groups and simply say the group winners all go through and either the just simply the four best runners up or all the runners up go into a playoff a simple one leg playoff um and and those are your those are your 12 teams and then nation league gives you the remaining four and then it's a compromise between the two i understand why they want to give smaller teams a a chance to but it devalues your qualification if it's simply because you're 50% more teams in the finals already. You know, uh, the, the idea of a qualifiers for me is to filter through down to the very best, not to simply shave off half. That doesn't really serve a purpose in my in my eyes. So it, it's the size of the finals tournament that for me is the major problem. But that's, oh, and the and, fact that it's most cities. But. Yeah, but didn't go. And four teams, you have this best third place nonsense which allows teams to draw their way through the group stage, get through, well, and then like, Portugal win the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, there should it yeah. should not be possible to win the European Championships without actually winning a game, like Portugal did four years ago. You well, know. they beat Wales in the semifinals. No, no, that was an extra time. No, not the semifinals. That was the first match they won after 90 minutes. It's still... Before, before 90 minutes, sorry. You, that still shouldn't be possible. You can't get to the semi-final of the major tournament without actually <laughs> winning a single game. I mean, that's ludicrous. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, for me, if you're having a finals tournament, a four-team group stage, which I think four teams is the right size for a group stage. Um, I, I can't stand when you see three-team group stages. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's The whole point of having a group stage has got to be not to simply knock off one team Um out. I mean, okay, yes, two third place sides won't go through, but effectively you've got to work pretty, pretty damn hard to not get through to the next stage. It should be the other way around. You should, um, it, it, I don't know. It's just it's it's reaching too hard to please too many people, or should I say, too many um, mm. uh, stakeholders and uh, income generators of yeah. various types. Team World Cup. Yeah. Well, it used to be like that in the World Cup, right? The same way. It was for a while, yeah. So US had that weird format as well for the US World Cup. They had the um the 24 teams, and I mean, they got quickly rid of it. Of course, UEFA's answer will be to expand this tournament to 32 teams. Um, 
And then it's more <laughs> the next part. Yeah. I don't know, boys. I, I like the 16 team format. I think it worked. You know, the Euros, yeah. the Euros are not the World Cup. They are an in-between filler that happens that, that makes the World Cup not quite as far away. You know? Um, they're not supposed to replace the main event. And I think that's what UEFA is trying to do. They're trying to replace the main event. Um, the European Championships, yes, they're an important tournament. I do enjoy watching it. Is it the World Cup? No, it is not. Should UEFA try to make it the World Cup? No, they definitely shouldn't. Are they trying to make it the World Cup? Yes, they definitely are. Because the next thing you know, it's like, oh, well, we're going to expand it to 32 teams. We're just going to invite a couple guys from South America. And we're going to let some more teams from Europe in. Boom, done, right? There's talks of that. Oh, God, money, money. Don't, don't say those sort of ideas. Those are exactly the sort of ideas that, that, that UEFA will think, oh, that makes us look modern and forward thinking. That is probably, no, I'll tell you what's going to happen next. They'll hold the final in New York. Oh, I was going to say or something like that, or Saudi Arabia or Qatar. I don't know. The most modern and forward thinking oh. thing in America, for sure. Well, yeah, the Champions League <laughs> final. The Champions League final is supposed to be very soon in New York. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way, it's the way things are going because simply because if there's more money to be made, that money will be made, whether we like it or not. Um, I'm not saying that's it. Give up and don't, you know, you know, don't try and protest it. I will keep protesting it just like you guys also would do. Um, I think, uh, I think what UEFA could do though is they could take the good from what they're intending to do for Nations League. And I do believe there is some good in it. Mm. Um, uh, and also combine it with a compromise for just at least maintaining the integrity and the value of the Euros. Because, the, the, you know, when we had, we mentioned earlier off pod about, um, about Latvia, you know, Austria losing to Latvia yesterday. Um, it's, it's a sign that that was their first Euros qualifiers win in in the last three cycles, I think, or two and a half cycles. And that was a team that got through to the Euros in, was it 2004, was it? Or was it 2008? I think Four. it was 2004. 2004. Um, and, and, but this is the thing. That was such a good story because it meant something. They had to work harder to get there. And it, yeah. you, the more teams you throw in, the less value it becomes. The story of Iceland getting through to their first Euros in, in 2016, that was a story because it was... Oh, I don't know. I just I, I groan at I groan at the lack of necessity of it all. Yeah, you know, they 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 were onto a good thing. I think the Nations League, uh, it will become clearer. But they just threw all that good work away by making it half the continent. Yeah, yeah. See, this is this is, and then of course this massive tournament. I think that you know the next tournament, twenty twenty four, when it's when it goes back to a single nation in Germany, um, I think that probably be better. Um, to just have it in one market, right, right, rather than the spread out yeah. tournament. Um, you know, but, Vadim, final point, we took up a lot of time with this qualification process and th- that's fine because it is an international break football grad podcast special. Um, there is maybe one positive about this that maybe Georgia or Belarus will qualify for this. And. So I think Kosovo have to be the favorites from from path D based on their form in the group stage. I would love to see Georgia go through. Uh, I spent a lot of time there last summer, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think right now, the the if I'm correct, it's the final that would potentially be Georgia Kosovo. 
Yeah, that is correct. Um, well, if they, if they both win. Don't need to play Kosovo. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that'd be good for football grad, right? If, if one of Georgia or Belarus get through. It'd be nice if that happens. I mean, even Kosovo would be an interesting story. So there will be interesting stories. And that's, that's something as journalists that we always look for. Um, so yeah, I guess that is, that is one, one bit of silver lining. Um, guys, the draw is in 11 days. That will give us a little bit of clarity, not all of it. The full clarity of it all will be in March. Um, very special podcast about the draw. And I, I think we figured it out. I hope we explained it well. I can't. The, yeah. This is the most clarity I've had ever. So I, I think we've done a good job. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I, 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 think so. I was, I was talking to a Romanian friend about this and I told him that, oh, if Romania qualifies, we'll be in the same group as Ukraine. And he texts me back. No, I'm too stupid to figure out how the Nations League works. And I just respond, no, this, this is not about you, my friend. This is just how the system is set up. <laughs> I'll send him a link to the podcast, help him figure it out. Yeah, I think we did a good job, actually. Um, but, Andrew, I cannot let you go before you tell me about Tumen's Champions League process. Oh, well, any, any chance to talk about Tumen, you know why you have You got four minutes, so be quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in in all seriousness, we talk about draws. The um, one side of football, I think, a lot of us enjoy, um, sort of on a, in a passing sense, is futsal. Um, I believe it's a really strong way to develop um, the ability of younger players. And in Russia, it's a very, very popular sport, partly because of the, the weather, I guess. There's, there isn't a single grass pitch in Chumen, for example, and there's 800,000 people in the city. So... Uh, anyway, last year, Chumen won the Russian Super League and in the Champions League, Futsal Champions League, the way it works is it's in group stages. So we're now at the elite round stage. So there are four groups of four. The winners of each of those four groups go through to the final four, which will be a tournament held um, uh, somewhere else. And that will define that will give us the winner of the UEFA Champions League. Uh, Chumen are drawn against a, uh, a, a Kazakh side and a Croatian side and the winners from last year's sporting. And, and that will take place this week. The Communist Party, Manu, your favorite futsal side, they yes. absolutely destroyed Mostar from Bosnia 7-2 last night. Beautiful. Um, they are hosting an elite round group stage. Um, so, that's a good start for them. So Russia have two representatives in the final 16. Um, I don't think the Communist Party is expected to go through. Chumen are up against it because they're facing the reigning champions. But I will be there. I will report back for next week's podcast. I'll tell you how it went. And um, hopefully I'll be able to tell you that uh, Chumen, the mighty MFK Chumen, will be in the final four of the Champions League. Chumen Champions League. Just let me say that again, Manny. Two men in the Champions League. This is this is such a such a beautiful metaphor for Russia. The two teams still left <laughs> in the tournament. A city that's basically run and fueled by oil and resources, and the other by mm -hmm. the Communist Party. I I, <laughs> I leave you guys with that thought. Um, I think there is no more beautiful way to. Uh, to add anything on this podcast. I, I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Guys, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, I think we did our best to do dissect this uh, qualification mode. It's a bit of a different podcast. We'll go back to club football like everyone else does next week, I promise. Um, until then, Vadim, um, where can people find you? Where can people ask you about this qualification process on Twitter, Facebook, etc.? Um, Floors yours? Oh, don't ask me. Ask Andrew instead. Okay, well then, Andrew, where can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know everyone will be desperate to follow the latest news about uh, MFK Chuban in the Champions League. I could just mention. Um, so, at Andrew, M-I-J, Flint, and... Uh, on YouTube as well, I'll put up a couple of videos. I might get an interview with one of the players afterwards. Um, this is the sort of club it is. Jamil Ivanov is, uh, he goes to the same pub that me and my, my Irish colleague Johnny drink at. So we know him quite well. So hopefully follow those and you might get an exclusive interview with one of Russia's players. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, you can find me at M-A-N-U-E-L-V-E-T-H on Twitter, Manuel Vef. Um, you can find this podcast um the gegen pressing podcast which did take an international break um i just want to mention one thing though on the gegen pressing derby germany against northern ireland bryce are you listening 6-1 that's cool that's cool 6-1 all right that that was beautiful anyways i wish you good luck in the the playoffs um (laughs) on that note that is it um, follow us at Football Grad Live. Until next week, Dos Vidania. the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.